Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Chapter one, we're going to begin the book of Psalms in the first uh, chapter. Psalm chapter one. So once you have it, I'm going to ask you if you're able, go ahead and stand on your feet with me as we read the word of God together. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. If you're online, welcome. We're glad you're here with us. Mama, I know you remember that speaker, so you pray for me too. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it reads this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, say delight with me. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Very word of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on this topic, self-examination. Self-examination. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for your word uh, that's sharper than a two-edged sword that can fight the enemy at the same time, encourage and challenge our own hearts. God, I pray that, uh, that you would hide me behind your cross. Decrease me as I pray each week so that you may increase in this place. Holy Spirit, move in the hearts of your people and work through the words that are spoken. Not mine, but yours. Get glory in this place. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Self-examination. Alfred Nobel. Anybody heard that name? He's uh, born in Stockholm, Sweden, in October of 1833. He was a man uh, that had many different talents. He's a devout Lutheran throughout his whole life who came from a family uh, that was full of scientists. So at a very young age, he would be mentored by a variety of different scientists. And at a young age, I, I would imagine I, that if you were a young boy, just like me, being mentored by scientists, the one thing that you would come to love is explosives. <laughs> what young boy doesn't like to blow things up? Uh, but this wasn't just a fetish for Alfred, he, he began to study and discover things that nobody had ever done before in this field. Throughout his life, he would, 
have over 350 different patents for his discoveries, but he would be known most for his groundbreaking discoveries with a substance called nitroglycerin, a highly explosive substance that was not easily containable. It, it was so uncontainable that many people would die in the laboratory from working with this substance alone. In fact, his, his younger brother would die from working with it in 1864. And so this led Nobel to do some further studies with this substance. And he learned that if he mixed nitroglycerin in 1867 with a, a more absorbent uh, inert substance, it was much more controllable. It was easier to use. And he called the invention of this new combination dynamite, which means power in the Greek. And it would be used just for that. If it was coal mining and you needed to blow up the cave or there was a, a building or a wall that needed to be torn down or blown up and needed to come down or on enemy lines when you wanted to trap your enemy and perhaps kill them. And so needless to say, this discovery would make Nobel a very, very rich man. But it would be at the expense of many other people dying because dynamite killed many people. Uh, one day in 1888, Nobel was uh, grieving the loss of his brother. His older brother, Ludwig, had died. And as he's grieving and mourning over his brother, he opens up the newspaper to, to read the obituary of his brother. And as he's, he's reading the newspaper, he, he begins to notice that this isn't his brother's obituary. Is actually his obituary, as if he died. And so he continues, as intrigued as that may be, to, to, he, he, he continues to read it. And he starts to see what people actually think about him. How he made millions of dollars off of people dying, people being killed by dynamite. The, the, the article even stated, the merchant of death is dead. Could you imagine picking up the newspaper, mourning your brother, and then reading your obituary instead? Could, could you imagine what he's feeling right now? The merchant of death is dead. This is what people think about you. Well, upon reading this obituary, Nobel was, he was very distraught. He was concerned with how people would remember him. So this is what he did as a last act in his will. Listen, he would set aside 94%, not 9, not 10, 94% of his total assets, which is 31,225,000 Swedish kronor. Now, let me break that down. That's equivalent to $472 million today. He set it aside, and this is how he established the Nobel Prizes. Uh, this would give away five different prizes to people who have done substantial or uh, contribute contributed greatly to their field of work. People like Martin Luther King would get this award. People like uh, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, Albert Einstein would win a Nobel Prize. 
Friends, Albert Nobel saw his obituary before he actually died, which caused him to slow down and say, although I got all this money from my invention, I don't want to be remembered as the merchant of death. Friends, we got to ask ourselves this question this morning. If we saw our obituary tomorrow morning, what would people say about us? What would it read? It's a tough question. And the problem with this question is that if we're really honest, most of us wouldn't be too happy with what people had to say about us in our obituary. Because most of us if we're honest, on a heart level, we're just like Alfred Nobel, really consumed with our own advancement, our own achievement, getting to this level until something sadly happens in our life and causes us to reevaluate. And we realize that this life is not only about my own satisfaction. See, but unlike Nobel, we don't get the privilege of seeing our obituary before we die. So again, we have to ask ourselves, what would people honestly say about me if I died today? What would they say? Renewal today in the text, as we get into Psalm chapter 1, we're going to get to see the the contrast between a, a righteous person who lives by the word of God and the wicked person that, that lives in rebellion to the word of God or follows their own way. And what I want us to do I, uh, as we walk through this psalm is I, I, want us to, I want us to slow down. I want us to just take a, a, a self-examination or evaluate where we are. And I want us to ask ourselves, where do I line up? Where am I? Wicked, righteous, where am I in this space? And be really honest about it. Now, this is really hard. It's really hard. But self-examination is a major part of our walks with God. It's a major part of our walks with God. Being honest about where we really are. Being a mess if we're a mess saying that. And every now and then, we just got to slow down. Slow down just like Alfred Nobel does and and say, what am I living for? What, What will people remember me by? In other words... Is my life fruitful? And if it's fruitful, then then what kind of fruit am I actually bearing? We got to ask that question and just slow down for a minute. In our passage, we're going to see that it's impossible to live a righteous life apart from the word of God. Now, self-examination. That's what I want to do this morning. As we get into the text, I, I want to talk about what a psalm is a little bit before we just work through Psalm 1. Uh, the book of Psalms has supplied believers throughout centuries some of their best-loved Bible passages. I still know my grandma. She loves Psalm 23. Many of you do, too. Psalm 23. It's a collection of 150 poems that, that express a wide variety of emotions. Listen to this, including love 
and desperate circumstances, uh, it just really dependence on God when we need him, adoration toward God, sorrow over sin, the battle of fear and trust, walking with God, even when the way seems dark, thankfulness for God's care, devotion to the word of God and confidence in the eventual triumph of God's purposes for the world. All of that's in the book of Psalms. You see that here. The English title for Psalms in the Greek is Psalmos, which translates in Hebrew, Mizmor, which means song. Now, the Hebrew name for the book is Tehillim, which means praises. So as you see this, you put all this together, it, it kind of points to the character use, characteristic use of the Psalms uh, being songs or praises offered to God in public worship. So you get the idea that the book of Psalms is really just a book of praises and songs offered to God. Hence why if you've been in church for a number of years or even more of a liturgical setting or even here on Sunday, you, we've sang some of the Psalms. You, you'll see some of the same words on the screen as we worship together that are in the Psalms. That, that's what they are. It's a book of songs. Our text today, Psalm 1, serves as an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. Uh, it's, it's a psalm that, as I said it before, contrasts the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And this is a theme that you can see throughout the whole book of Psalms, all throughout it. The way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, the contrast there. Uh, so looking at verse 1, the author, who we do not know here, he begins with the word blessed. Everyone say blessed. It says blessed. Now, the term blessed, don't miss this. In its original language, Hebrew does not actually mean God rewards or blesses the righteous person. Don't miss this. But rather that that person is joyful. He, that person is fortunate. He's deserving of congratulations. The person has found favor in the Lord. It's the same translation that's used in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, where it's used nine different times where God describes or Jesus describes a, a righteous individual, a, a godly individual. Friends, hear me, hear me. This is very important because sadly in church culture, naturally, sometimes when we hear the word blessed, we think it means that God is going to do something for us if we're living right or doing something for him. That ain't it. That, that's not what it's about. Now, the context, listen, because I know I'm all in someone's neighborhood. The context around this word bless surrounds the way in which a person walks and follows God. And because of the way he walks with God, the way he follows God, the result is happiness. The result is, is joyful. He, he's fortunate. See, what it really means is that when a man or a woman walks with the Lord according to the word of God, they find true joy. Not that God is going to give them something or reward them. I know I'm stepping on some toes. I'm messing with somebody's theology up in here. So hear me. Believers are blessed in Jesus. It's not because of anything we do or what we have to bring to the table. The word, the word blessed ain't about you getting rained down with blessings and all of this, all this prosperity. I need this. No, that's not what blessing, that's not what it's about. Follow me with this. Some of us, we take this whole idea of blessing out of context and we make it about you getting something from God because you did this in life. And so God should bless me. And here's the problem with that. When God doesn't bless you, when you thought you deserved a blessing, now God doesn't love me. 
me. God doesn't approve of me. Y'all, that ain't Christianity. That's performance. That, that's, I got to perform to get this from God. No, God don't love you because of your performance. He loves you because of what Jesus has done. Friends, it's important to remember this. Because if we don't understand this, then we'll look at God and our relationship with God as if it's transactional. When salvation and what God gives us is free by his grace. Some of you heard us say this before. I say it all the time. Uh, But we, we work from approval, not for approval. You're already approved in what Jesus has done on the cross for you. It's not what you do. Friends, believers are are blessed by God through Jesus. We're blessed or favored. Believers are blessed and favored because of Jesus, not what you do. Our, our, our salvation and relationship with God is not transactional. It's, it's not based off of what we do. It's off of what Jesus has already done. I love what a, one of my friends, big-time Christian artist, at least back in the day, named Ambassador, he said this. He said, if, if salvation has a fee then I'm like Titanic out to sea. Some of y'all just missed all of that. Let me say it again. If salvation has a fee, then I'm like Titanic out to sea. Y'all know the Titanic? It, It went down, right? Okay, all right. This means that if I have to do something to be blessed or gain salvation, in other words, my relationship with God had a cost, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough good works. I don't have enough strength within me. I don't have enough anything to warrant the free cost of salvation or or the holy standard. I can't live up to the holy standard that God has set before me because inside of me, there's this innate sinfulness. There's this deep sinfulness and rebellion that exists within my heart. Well, I don't really want the things of God. So I I run away from the things of God instead of running to the things of God. See, I, I don't have that's existing in all of us. This is what makes, listen, the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ that much more unfathomable and amazing because he being God in the flesh would look at us knowing that we're in our sin and then take our place dying on the cross for sins that he didn't commit. Y'all, that's unfathomable, reckless love. But see, it is death now, therefore, if we believe. I love it. He then offers us a gift. Keyword gift. The free gift of salvation, reconciliation to God freely through his death. That's why, that's how we're blessed. We're blessed in Jesus. That's what the book of Colossians was all about. Us coming back to Jesus, understanding his preeminence and how he's before all things. He created all things. He's the Lord of the body, the Lord of the church. And it's through him that we're clothed now in his righteousness. And we walk in that. And we walk in a place of freedom and approval and love, not in what we do. That's why the believer keeps their eye on Jesus. We're blessed in Jesus. Because of his work. All that to say, family, that nothing about our relationship with God is transactional. God has already done the work on our behalf. Believers are blessed. We're favored because we get the privilege of walking with God, not on the basis of our performance, but because of Jesus's work. That's why one of these uh, old Fred Hammond songs that I love Got a famous gospel artist. If you don't know it, go listen to the song after church. It'll bless you. It's actually called We're Blessed. 
Some of y'all know it, so sing it with me. He, he says this. We're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the field. We're blessed when we come and when we go. We cast down every stronghold. I can't hear y'all. There it is. But the devil is defeated. We are blessed. Everybody say blessed. 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 We're blessed. All right, that's it. That's it. Come on, y'all. Y'all ain't know I was a worship leader at heart. Come on, man. Yeah, he's talking about it in this song. He's talking about his state of being. No matter where he is, he's saying, I'm blessed. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. His work on my behalf. The devil is defeated, he says. Sickness and poverty must cease. He's saying all of that's found in Jesus, not in me. I'm blessed, not by my works, but because of what he has already done. Family, hear me. The writer starts this song with good news, saying that we're blessed by being wholly consumed with God and his work on our behalf. Not what we do, but who we look to. I, this further leads in the text, because you see right off the back, he, he contrasts between the blessed or the righteous man, if you want to say, and, and the wicked or the sinful man. It, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, meaning he doesn't act like, he doesn't receive advice from, he doesn't uh, receive anything from wicked or evil men. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, the word wicked and the word sinner here describes people who do not obey the will of God or what's written in the Bible. That's what it's simply, simply saying. The word scoffers are people that would uh, openly scorn religion. This would be atheists at the time or even modern atheists. Uh, the text says, blessed is a man who doesn't walk sit nor stand with these people. It says joy is not found there. So the question becomes, well, okay, where's joy? We look at verse 2. tells us that it's found in the law of the Lord. It says that the, the person's delight or pleasure or joy is found in the law of the Lord. He, he meditates on it day and night. Meaning he reads it closely, he studies it, meaning he or she cares about the word of God. The text says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season and its leaves do not wither. Now, listen, because it says nothing about finding pleasure in material things. Doesn't say anything about finding pleasure in a significant other, or in my self-worth, or my status, or any other places. No, it says the delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is found in the word of God, the, the Bible, the scripture. Ask yourselves, do I really delight in the word of God? Is it my treasure beyond anything else? And don't say yes too quickly, because studies would tell us different. Barner Christian Studies, they did a study on this, and it says 34% of Christians read their Bible once a week. 30% read nothing. 
2% of people read their Bible every day. And we wonder why we're so depressed as a people. We're consumed, hear me friends, by bad news every day. Every news outlet, you turn it on, Chicago News, all they're going to talk about is shootings. Like nothing else happened. On your social media outlets, there's bad news all over the place, but yet we won't pick up the good news and read it at all. And we wonder why we have no joy. And not to come sideways, but the reality is some of us in here, the only time you read your Bible is when I say, let's stand and let's read together. And we still have no joy. The text says that the blessed man's delight is in the word of God, the law of the Lord, nowhere else. I, I love how the author, trying to make this a little bit clear, weaves in all these cultural aspects to help illustrate this. At the time of the writing of the psalm, the people would have been very involved in agriculture. So when they hear that a man is like a tree planted by a stream of water that bears fruit, it really makes no sense to them because a, true, a tree that, that bears fruit usually is not next to a stream of water. They, they, most of the time, they depend on an immense amount of rainwater, not the, the water from the stream. So it really wouldn't have made any sense to them. But, but watch this. What really would have made sense to them as they're reading this, the hearers or the readers of the Psalms, is if they related it to their climate and where this is written. This is uh, typically the Middle East where it, it would be known to be very dry. Stick with me. They, they, would, they would know being in a dry climate in order to have trees that bear fruit, it takes a lot of water for the tree to grow. Stick with me. I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. The author uses the climate of their dryness or spiritual dryness, if you may, saying a righteous man is like a tree in the dry climate planted by water and bearing fruit. See, what the author is really trying to convey, watch this, is that true righteousness is not found in anything around you because it's dry. Don't miss it. It's dry. So, so, so you can't find it in all the dryness around you, all the things around you that, that are dry. And then this really got me. Listen, he, he doesn't say leave your dry climate and go try to find another climate. No, no. What he says is blessed is a man is like a, a tree planted by stream and bears fruit. Now, some of y'all are missing this, but I need you to listen. The tree is the man and the stream or the water is the word of God. And the only way a righteous man or blessed person can survive in a dry climate or in our terms, a dry spiritual climate where the people don't value the things of God. Instead, they rebel against the things of God. The only way that you can last is by being dependent on the word of God and it alone. Yes, Amen. But see, the problem is probably why I only got eight men's on this side is that most of us, we're trying to find fulfillment in all the dryness around us. We're trying to find fulfillment in that man or that woman in our lives. We're trying to find that stream of water in that house we want. We're trying to find that stream of water in that job or this amount of money or this next achievement. We're trying to find fulfillment in all these dry places 
And when you look at the word, it says, hear me, the only place that can truly satisfy, the only way, place where we're able to bear lasting fruit, not fruit for tomorrow, but lasting fruit throughout all eternity is to stay planted. Yeah. Or for some of us to become planted in God's never ceasing stream of water, his word. But I know, I know, this is why I only got one amen on that one, is that you, you may read the Bible and you're like, well, Pastor D, I, I read it, but I don't feel satisfied when I read the Bible. I don't feel it. Hear me. We live in a feelings-driven generation, and not a truth or faith-driven generation which is problematic because we say, well, if the Bible or God doesn't meet my feelings, then I don't want anything to do with the Bible. I don't want anything to do with it. Instead, I'm going to do what I feel is right. This is what I feel today. This is what I'm going to be. I, want to, I feel like doing this. This is what I want to do. Or we take the Bible and say, well, I feel this way, so this is what it's got to mean. We twist the scripture to, feel, to get it to what we want it to be instead of what it already is. Yeah, See, there's a big movement right now in this generation in our day and age where we trust our feelings. It's just, it, we, 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 or we say, I'm going to believe in the God in me. I'm like, what in the world does that even mean? <laughs> like, it's all about what's in me. You got it all in me. And they ain't talking about the Holy Spirit. God can mean anything in today's age, like you, your own God, you make it up and I feel this way. This is what I want to be. And hear me, hear me, hear me. The problem with this is that your feelings, my feelings, they change every day, multiple times throughout the day. They go up and down. And so you can feel one way, one way, uh, one day, and then you feel it another way the other day. And, and see, if you justify your faith or your identity based off your feelings, then, then it's never steady. It's never solid. And so, so, so I could say, well, uh, as a pastor, I could say, well, I feel like committing adultery. And y'all can't say nothing to me because I feel that way and it's right. Yeah, right. Y'all like, I will stone you, Pastor D. <laughs> if Kaylee didn't kill me first. <laughs> yeah, like, but you see where I'm going with this? If I feel this way, I feel that way. And you can't say nothing about it. Hear me, hammer, hear me. Be careful. How you read scripture. We read the word of God to know God, yes. not to suit our feelings. Amen. When you read the God, word of God to know him and you put your faith, listen, in his word or what he says, meaning you trust the word of God. Now your feelings come as a result of that and you're no longer depressed. You're no longer disheartened, but instead you're blessed because you've read and you believe the God of the ages and what he's done on your behalf. It's good news. See, the word of God, it's our life source. It's, uh, it's not the world. It's not everything around you. It's the word of God. It's like Aquafina on that hot summer day. Jay, I don't know how they did it in London, bro, but it's like being locked outside the house and, and you can't find a place to drink water. Mama won't let you in the house and you just got to find a water hose. And that, that water, bro, it, it, just, it just gives you life. Anybody, y'all didn't grow up like me? Y'all don't drink from water hoses? I like bass. I only drink filtered water. <laughs> pH 7 water. 
that's what I want. <laughs> we didn't have that in Gary, y'all. <laughs> Had water hoses. Family, there's no coincidence that water here is used as a life giver. The average male body is made up of 60% of water. We will literally die without water, just like this tree in a dry climate. When we delight in the word of God, it says we bear fruit. Our leaves don't wither and we prosper. Friends, let me ask you, is the word of God that water for you? Is it? I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Let me say that again. So pants my soul for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Many of us, we're thirsty. We're thirsting for more than what this life has to offer for us. And listen, that fulfillment, that satisfaction that you're searching for comes from nowhere else but the word of God. That's why it says that the righteous man's delight is in the law of the Lord. But I know, I know, maybe that's not enough. So what I want you to do, I want you to think a little bit more with me about the imagery of this fruit tree. Much of the fruit that we eat, apples, oranges, coconuts, bananas, a variety of different nuts, they come from trees. That's their fruit. Now hear me, that fruit does not benefit the tree itself at all. But instead, it benefits the people or animals that eat of it. Therefore, what this verse is also saying is that when a tree bears fruit, it means two things. It means that it's prospering or being fed from the water it's taken in. And two, as it takes in water, others start to prosper from its prosperity because the people or things around it get to partake in its fruit. Renewal, listen, what we need to understand from this passage is that as we meditate on as we feast on the word of God, not only will we prosper and be blessed, but others around us, too, will begin to benefit. This means that if we live our lives totally sold out to an almighty God who has saved us from our sin, not only will we benefit and live with him forever and eternity, but watch this. Because of the way we live our lives in front of other people, people will begin to benefit, too, because they'll see Jesus and the hope through our lives. They get to see the fruit. Hear this. True believers bear fruit that others can see. I'm not talking about the person that just says I'm a Christian. But they say that they're a Christian and you can look at them and say, wow, there's something different. True believers bear fruit that others can see. The Lord, listen, doesn't bless you or save you just for your own prosperity. But more so that you can live out the commandment to love your neighbor too. The believer's true reward is in heaven. So until Jesus comes back, that means that we're not going to ultimately experience all the rewards and, and the, the, the separation from all this pain and anxiety and things that we have here on this earth until we get to heaven. So until he comes back, we're commanded to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and to love our neighbor 
as ourselves, or as the text says, bear some fruit. But I know, I know, I know. I, I know looking at these verses, we, we've covered some of us, at least the believers in the room, we can look at them and we can say, well, I, I know this is scripture, Pastor D, and I, I see it's written truth, and I believe it as a believer. It's the written word. But when I look around me, why is it that it seems like the way of the wicked is the one that's prospering right now? Why, why do they seem so blessed? And I'm, I'm out here striving to live for Jesus. Why, why do they get to have so much fun and I got to live my life the way I'm living right now? Through all this toil and struggle in the midst of an environment where everybody does whatever they want to do. What, why? You ever thought that before? You ain't got to raise your hand. I, we've been there. I mean, look at the text, what it says in verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so. But like chaff that the wind drives away. The text says the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away, meaning that they won't last forever. Or as Solomon says, it's vanity. It's vanity. Here again, the readers of the psalm, they would have resonated with this agricultural illustration. You see, chaff was the unparted, unwanted part of the wheat stalk that the farmers, when, they, when they, they got the wheat, they wanted the seed. They didn't want the chaff, so they would burn the chaff or they let it float away with the wind. Y'all follow me with this because I know some of you are missing what I'm trying to get at or what the, the writer's getting at. The chaff is the outer casing that, that, that holds the seed. The, the farmer wants nothing to do with the chaff because it has no use for humans. It actually, we can't even digest the chaff. So what they would do is they take the wheat stalks, the grain stalks, and they would put it up on, on the threshing floor, this big pallet, this big stone floor, and they would chomp, tramp on it and, and beat up, beat up the, the, the stalks, and they're trying to separate the chaff uh, from seed. And then, watch this, I'm coming to your neighborhood, so stick with me. What they would do is they take this big winnowing fork, and you grab everything, and eat. as the wind's going, they're waiting for it, and then the wind goes, and they throw it up in the air. And as the wind goes by, the chaff would float away with the wind. And because the seed is heavier, it would fall back down to the ground. Thus now, the farmer is getting what he wanted, the seed, and getting rid of the unwanted chaff. They, they want the seed. Follow me with this. They don't want the useless chaff. You see, but what gets me about this is that the chaff and the seed come from the same plant. But one is worth keeping and one is not. What this tells us is that although we're all made in the image of God, every one of us, meaning we all come from the same place, at the end of the day, the one whose delight is in the things of God will be the one who lasts. So hear me, hear me, listen. In this world, it may seem like people that are not living according to the word of God are prospering. The ones that choose to go their own way are doing really well. But one day, one day, the Bible says that Christ is coming back. And when he comes to the so-called threshing floor with his winnowing fork, where we'll all be there to meet him, he's going to take his fork, throw us all up. The ones that followed the Lord would fall back down and be with him forever. The ones that don't will float away with the wind or, as the text says, 
be burned and be no more. The, the text is, is letting us know in verse 6 that the wicked or the sinners, those who are rebellious against God, will not stand in the judgment, meaning they will be condemned by God and will not be in the congregation of the righteous or God's people. So therefore, God will look at all the people. Let me repeat it. When Jesus comes back and will condemn the wicked and the righteous, the ones who walk according to the word of God will be with him. Now, there's no amens in here too much because that's hard. That's hard to hear. That's tough. Because although we're all made in the image of God, everyone in here, everyone is, is not going to trust God's work through Jesus. Which means that everyone's not going to be saved. And that's tough. And instead, there are going to be many who are going to trust what they think or what they feel is right. And friends, the question we got to ask ourselves this morning, which is really a tough one. You may say I'm being harsh, but I'm not. It's really in the text. Is are we the chaff that's burned or blown away in the wind? Or are we the seed that falls back to the ground? Are you the one finding your own way according to what you feel is right or you see in the world? Or are you meditating day and night on the word of God? Where are you? Because the biblical truth is that although the world may look like it's prospering, it's only for a matter of time. The last verse says that God knows the way of the righteous and he knows the way of the wicked and it will perish. Crowns, money, houses, cars, everything we possess will all cease. We can't take it with us. So ask yourself again, am I the tree rooted in God's word, planted in the midst of a desert, feasting on that stream of water, the word? Or am I the chaff that grows with the wheat stalks? But when thrown in the wind, I blow away with it because I trusted in things that would never last. Where are we? Let's end with this. There's one main difference between the unrighteous person who lives by the word of God and the righteous man who meditates on the word daily. And that difference is, don't miss this. The righteous person has faith. What do I mean? People that live without faith live their lives as if all they have is in this world. Which means I got to gain all I can, YOLO, live it. You only got one life to live, all of that stuff. I got to do all it, live my life the way I want it, take pleasure in what I want to take pleasure in, live for temporary pleasures instead of eternal pleasures. When on the contrary, the man or the woman of faith lives their life according to the word of God. And see, what happens is if you live according to what you feel and you think, if something happens in this world that messes with you or throws you off your rocker, it's almost as if your whole world is ending. But that's different for the person that lives by the word of God. See, they live knowing that all of this will soon pass away and be no more. They give their life away instead of trying to gain more. They take pleasure in what God takes pleasure in instead of their own desires. They think and they live eternally 
Instead of temporal, they think simply less of themselves and more about God. The reason a man or woman of faith can live this way is because faith as a definition is trusting in God and his word and his promises. And the outcome of that is Hebrews 11.1 where faith gives us the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things that we cannot see. What this means is that although the person of faith may not be able to see pleasure, may not be able to feel it all the time or experience it every day, that the the person of faith trusts in God's word and they remember what he says to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, where he tells them, Y'all, look, the world is going to be hard. There are going to be things that happen to you on a day-to-day basis. Emotions and things are going to go up and down. You're not going to feel good all the time. But he says, take heart. Take heart because I've already overcome the world. This is what Jesus says to us. That's what the word of God says. This means that sometimes it will be hard like a tree planted in the middle of a desert. Some of y'all came in this morning and that's where you feel like you are. You're in the middle of a desert. Everything that can go wrong in your life feels like it's going wrong. Or everything around you just seems like madness. Maybe that's you. Can I encourage you? And I'll be honest, I had to encourage myself with the same word. A couple days ago, a guy that I played basketball with just, just dropped dead in the middle of the court. And they're still trying to figure out what happened. And I'm like, man, life is it's so quick it can be gone. What am I doing with my life right now? What kind of fruit am I bearing? And that's on top of just the reality of a pandemic and everything else that's happening in my life. Can I encourage you? Trust in Jesus. Because for the believer, listen, this is tough sometimes to reconcile. It's okay that for the believer, there's there's mess all around you. It's okay to be living in the midst of mess. You know why? Because the text tells us that life is not found in all of that. And so sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's very hard. But you got a continual life source in God's word. Just like the tree has a continual stream of water. Stay planted in the word of God. Stay planted. And as a result, you know what happens? You know what people will say about you when you die? They will say that he or she was a person that that did not live for their own glory but live for the glory of God. And because of that, everything around them flourished. They truly lived a fruitful life. I don't know about you, but I want that written about me in my obituary. I want that written. So family, as we end and get ready for communion, examine yourselves accordingly. Where are you?
Examine yourselves. Stay planted in the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. We thank you for this scripture. They can be tough and challenge us and lead us to questions in spaces where we have to answer and, and really look at our lives in ways we don't really want to sometimes, God. And I pray even right now that everyone here under the sound of my voice in person and online would just take a second and slow down and be honest about where they are. I believe there's some people in here that have been trying to find hope in everything else, fulfillment in everything else, and this is the day they need to say, Jesus, I need you. I'm done leading my own life. I lay it all down, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. Be the Lord of my life. God, I pray that they would stay planted in the word of God and be watered and bear fruit, not only to the city, to a nation that needs you. God, I pray for those in here that are struggling with their faith, that have been struggling. Maybe they believe already, but they've been struggling. God, I pray that they wouldn't turn to the right or the left or anything around them, but they would again turn back to you, be rooted and grounded in your scripture and find the fulfillment and satisfaction they need there. Be planted. God, we do thank you. We ask that you move continually in our hearts. Draw us closer to you so we can be used as vessels for your goodness. In Christ's name, we all say together, amen. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.